that whole thing was based on tourism. And I really do think that like, you know, tourism is for forever changed, at least for five years, which is forever in whiskey. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> This is episode 274 of Bourbon Pursuit, the podcast featuring news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. Before we start today's podcast talking about sourced whiskey, here's your weekly bourbon news update. On Friday, October 9th of 2020, the world's largest private whiskey collection ever will go up for auction. Only going by the name of Pat, Pat's overall whiskey collection consists of over 9,000 bottles of bourbon and American whiskey, along with 2,000 miniatures. With many rare bottlings such as Old Fitzgeralds from the Van Winkle era, almost 100 bottles of Jack Daniels including the Sinatra Century, Old Number 7 Inaugural, and the Gold Medal Series, and noteworthy collections of very old St. Nick, Willett Family Estates, and rare Michters, and nearly every bottle of the Buffalo Trace Experimental Series to the coveted 1974 Van Winkle exports. Bidding will open on Friday, October 9th and will end on Monday, October 19th. More details about how to register for the auction are available right now at whiskeyauctioneer.com. Now moving on to bourbon release news. For the first time ever, Angel's Envy Cash Strength will hit the shelves in all 50 states. It's the only time each year that the brand releases its flagship port wine barrel finished bourbon at any other proof than its classic 86.6. And this year's release will be 120.6 proof. About 17,400 bottles of this 2020 cash strength expression will hit shelves across the country starting on November 1st, and limited amount will be available at Angel's Envy Downtown Distillery in Louisville, with a suggested retail price of around $200. Pinhook has announced the Bourbon War Vertical Series 5-year, the second release in the Bourbon War line, which follows a group of barrels that age from 4 to 12 years old. The bourbons for this line were distilled at MGP, and are blended and aged at Castle and Key. The Pinhook Bourbon War Vertical Series 5-year will be available in the upcoming weeks for a suggested retail price of around $50. Chattanooga Whiskey announced its release of its Vote Whiskey Single Barrel Bourbon, commemorating its history of its original 2012 Vote Whiskey campaign, which you might have heard a time or two when we talked to these guys on the podcast. After nearly two years of legal efforts, House Bill 102, appropriately nicknamed the Whiskey Bill, was signed into law by the governor, and distilling whiskey in Chattanooga was officially legal again after a century. The barrels are from MGP, they are 12 years old, and one barrel will be released every week at Barrel Proof for $125 a bottle. They are available online, and you can pick up at the distillery at chatwhiskeytogo.com. Woodford Reserve is coming out with its new Woodford Reserve Baccarat Edition. This exclusive whiskey of Woodford Reserve bourbon has been aged an additional three years in Exo Cognac casks from France. It is bottled in a handmade crystal decanter that took five days to create in Baccarat, France. The bottle design is meant to evoke the iconic Woodford Reserve bottle silhouette and is engraved in gold with Woodford Reserve's and Baccarat's iconic logos. It's presented in a signature Baccarat red box and includes a crystal stopper adorned with Woodford Reserve's initials. The Woodford Baccarat is available at 90.4 proof and will retail for $2,000. Wild Turkey Distillery is introducing Russell's Reserve 2003. This time it's aged for 16 years inside of Tyrone warehouses and this will mark the very last of Russell's Reserve 107 barrel entry proof whiskey. Bottled at barrel strength, which is only 89.5 proof, there will be approximately 3,600 bottles of Russell Reserve 2003 available at select retailers across the U.S. for a suggested retail price of $250. The Van Winkle 2020 release is around the corner, and Buffalo Trace has come out with a statement. They said that while the amount of 10, 12, and 15-year bourbons will be about the same as previous years, it's unfortunately that the 20- and 23-year-old barrels yielded far fewer bottles this fall. The good news is that there is more 13-year rye than in years past. And the SRP has also crept up just slightly this year, with the 10-year being $70, 12-year at $80, 13-year rye and the 15-year bourbon at $120, and the 20 at $200, and finally the 23 at $300. Good luck on the hunt. So for today's podcast, what is sourced whiskey? Well, 
It can mean a lot of different things, and to some of us bourbon geeks who also feel that some do it more right than others, you know, there's contract distillation and there's others that are just outright buying barrels, but it's what you're doing with them that really makes the story. We evaluate some of the most iconic brands that have built their legacy off of sourcing. And then we look at today's market and to see who is doing something unique and special versus somebody that's simply just slapping a label on the bottle. Are you interested to know more about supporting the podcast and our private barrel program? We've updated our website so you can get all your questions answered. Go to bourbonpursuit.com and click on the Barrel Club link in the menu. With that, enjoy today's episode. And here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. Did you know that if you buy a bottle of rye whiskey, and if it doesn't say the word straight on there, there could be flavoring added? Did you know that when you buy scotch, there's a good chance that the color of it actually comes from coloring? Did you know that when you buy rum, depending on which brand it is, there could be up to 50 grams per milliliter of sugar? There are all kinds of shenanigans that go on when it comes to producing spirits. You don't have to look too much further than vodka, which is coming off the still at uh, no lower than 190 proof, the same proof point as ethanol, by the way. And they add, they cut it with water and they put glycerin in it. And in fact, you can find that there really, that there are three core vodka distillers, Cargill, MGP, and ADM, and they basically sell in bulk to the rest of the world, and they redistill it and call it their own, whether it's Russia or somebody in Texas. That's what's going on in spirits all the time, and that's why bourbon is so special. Bourbon is so protected. It is so concise in how it can be produced, and it will not change unless we let off of what the meaning of bourbon is. Over the years, I have really enjoyed the special of uh, the barrel finish programs that, you know, the likes of Angel's Envy and Woodford Reserve, really everybody is doing. You take, uh, you take the bourbon and you finish it in a port barrel, a cognac barrel, a rum barrel, an additional toasted barrel, whatever it may be. You take it and you finish it in all these things. And it's absolutely fantastic. The whiskey is sublime. I dare say it's some of the best stuff that's out there. However, you can put that bourbon in the in there with a little bit of port in there already or a little bit of sherry in there to keep the barrel wet. And it's the same thing as almost as adding flavoring. And here we are, we're considering these products to be the same as bourbon when in fact they are not. And when they go to apply for a federal label, they have to do so under the distilled spirit specialty. So I love barrel finishes. I think they are great, but I do not think we should be considering them bourbon. Now, when I did my best bourbons of the century so far, a lot of people asked me, why wasn't I considering barrel finishes? So there you go, folks. That is why. It's because while I love them, while I think they're wonderful products, they are not bourbon. They are whiskeys from a distilled spirit specialty category. And that's this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you have an idea for Above the Char, hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, even YouTube. Just search for my name, Fred Minnick. Until next week, cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order.
And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 000 From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And we're back with another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. The whole trio here today in talking about what is sourced whiskey. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we talk about this because... We look at what's on the shelves today and, you know, we've all heard of the conglomerates of MGP and we've all heard about, you know, big things like that. However, it was really funny when we were getting to start recording this, I go over to my bar and I start pulling bottles off. I'm like, holy dear Lord, I think like half the bottles on my bar are all sourced whiskey. Like they all come from different places. Now, whether they do different things, whether they have different aging techniques, finishing techniques, whether they just say like, hell, that's just good whiskey. We're just going to bottle it up everybody takes a different approach to this. And so there's definitely a good amount of ways we can, we can take this conversation. And I know, you know, Fred and Ryan, you have both had conversations with other people about this same exact topic in years past. Yeah. In fact, you were, we were actually, you actually were on my show, the curation desk and we were talking oh, yeah. about it, you know, that's right. I forgot about that. So we've, um, you know, Ryan and I, we have a we have a deep history in the uh, discussion of <laughs> yeah, sourced we're whiskey. Very well schooled in sourced whiskey, <laughs> <laughs> and hell, we do it. You know, us two, we're in the sourced whiskey game, so it is. I mean, it, but it's not like we're breaking new ground. No, you know, no. We're, we're definitely. I mean, we're we're following in the footsteps of people that have been doing this for generations in front of us, and and we'll we'll probably talk about this later on. Of you know, when you start talking about, you know, like the sommeliers of, of bourbon and like, oh yeah, that can't be a thing because you don't know where bourbon barrels are actually coming from. It's all this crazily traded paper that's always hidden. Yeah. It's, it's nothing's public information. It's not public records. So right. it's just something that's kind of like a, like an inside little trading distribution. And I'm so game. glad you started there, Kenny, because, uh, you know, what people see when they go into a liquor store, they see a brand. You know, they don't know the the amount of shit that happens, you know, behind closed doors with these brands. I mean, even the brands that have their own distilleries trade whiskey amongst one another. So I guarantee you, if you were to break through the paperwork between Jim Beam and Brown Foreman, you would find some barrels passing back and forth here and there. Hey, I'm short on some six-year-old. Can you hook me up? You know, hey, we need a little bit of this. Can you help us out there? I need uh, I need some GNS. Well, you know what? You need that GNS. We need about 100 barrels of like four-year-old bourbon. But but the thing is, is like this whole conversation, we're having um, an, an American whiskey. It's, it's kind of a new conversation that's kind of coming to the forefront, and it's not celebrated. And by the way, historically... The distillers have never celebrated being sourced. It's always happened in America, but in the United Kingdom, they celebrate it. They call themselves merchant bottlers. They're almost like hunters. They're out there yeah. trying to find like the best whiskey out there. And, you know, in American whiskey, it's like, oh yeah, we're sourced whiskey. And it's like, it, you know, it's... I always find it ironic. Like the, you know, the people that make it are like, oh, we make it, you know, not those sources, but they're happy to sell it to, to the exactly. people. You know, it's like, oh, how the irony, you know? <laughs> yeah, if you ever want to find irony, just, you know, talk to a whiskey distiller. You know, they're they're very ironic. They're, they When it's time to sell, they need the money, they need the cash, they've got it. But then if it wins an award, well, it was really ours, you know, that was really our liquid. Yeah, they totally discount who put it together, who blended the barrels and all, tasted their own and whatnot. Uh, But, you know, so so in my eyes, there are basically, there are three layers of what we would call source whiskey. 
And, and by the way, this is not anything that has been defined previously, you know, prior, you know, you know, go back into the 1930s and 1940s, they didn't have this term source whiskey. They were just barrels that were bought on what they called wholesale receipts. So someone would buy like uh, the receipts of, of the barrels and then they would bottle them. And it was, it was, um, in the trade, it was called like buying, buying bourbon on wholesale. And that's, that's what it was called. You know, in, in the modern age, we've called it source whiskey. It's a more proper term, I think, especially now that we see that consumers are more connected to whiskey than ever before. They want to learn about it. It's kind of become like the sports uh, for some people. It's it's entertaining. It's uh, it's fun. Yeah, because they're like, who's the source? Yeah. Who's the source? Where can you tell me where it is? Where'd you get that from? What's the mash bill? What, warehouse? Was it center cut or was it on the edge? You know? So, I mean, it's a little bit... It's, it, it's, it's on the northwest side? Yeah. <laughs> what hill's that on? Oh, well, okay, what wind was it coming up yeah, on that day? On know? that day, that day was the east side. So, you know, there are three there are three th- three parts to it. There's the source whiskey where someone is just buying and bottling. All right. So that is just like a basic kind of sourcing. Then there's the sourcing where someone is buying and they're doing something to it, whether they're blending it or they're finishing it. They're changing, you know, the the makeup of that liquid by doing something else with it. A great, great the best example we could possibly come up with is barrel which is like getting liquid from all over the world and blending and doing stuff together. Like, you know, you want to say, say what you want about source whiskey. What barrel is doing is unique and different and ain't nobody got a candle to them in terms of like how they are changing uh, the whiskey after it comes from the distillery. The third type, and this is what like, you know, Michter's and Heaven Hill did for a very long time. And that's contract distilling. And that is that they would use someone else's facilities and um, give them their recipe, their yeast, and they would, you know, make their own unique products. And, you know, Joe Mayoko, you know, famously says that, you know, he's like borrowing someone else's kitchen to make dinner, is basically how he put it, until he could have his own kitchen. And so, and so to, in my opinion, that is basically the three layers of sourced whiskey. And all, no, no, nothing wrong with any of those, as long as you're as transparent as you can possibly be. Now, if you're an asshole and you want to say like, well, this actually came from my grandpa's recipe back in 1902, just happens to be the exact same as the one in Indiana, (laughs) you know, then you're a dick. Or I'm a new brand and I got 12-year whiskey, you know, just (laughs) been hanging on to it for 12 years. Yeah, be like, how'd that that happen? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think that's a lot of it is like... um, is the language on the label. When you say it's a distillery, you know, if you try to say it was distilled here, but you kind of pass it off as your own, I mean, that's a different conversation. That's of like, you know, you're you're trying to deceive the consumer that you created it. That's what it comes down to, really. Yeah, it's it's even funny. You can read a label now and like where, where it says bottled at or distilled or bottled, where it says it's bottled at, you can really mm-hmm. like pinpoint where it's actually bottled at. Like if it's, a brand that hasn't been around that's bottling at Bardstown, you know that it's probably Strong Spirits. Or, you know, if it's someone in, you know, Louisville, Kentucky, it's probably uh, the guys up there in Crestwood, you know, right. contract bottling. So, But of yeah. course, these are things that you know. And those are things that, you know, people inside the trade understand. But that uh, that young woman going in to buy a bottle of bourbon for the first time, um, yeah, going to buy a nice Christmas gift or something. Exactly. That is, um, you know, or she's drinking it herself or whatever. You know, that, I mean, they're, they're going in there and they're, their only connection to the brand is the label. And uh, and it's the same in wine. You know, wine has, um, they, have a, they have a profession called the negociant. The negociant is someone who's celebrated. I mean, they're like, um, they're in some respects, they're like the heroes of the wine industry. And that they like go and buy like bulk wine uh, or like small, small uh, pallets of wine and they'll put labels on it. And it's like, and people look for certain negotiants and they'll look for certain importers because uh, they're like, oh my God, that's the best, best wine. That's the best like blend I've ever had. So I'm going to keep looking for that. So I think like bourbon, if we, if we start looking at source whiskey as like, if we look at like barrel, barrel as the champion, you know, like they're like the the pinnacle of what you can become in source whiskey, which they've won a lot of awards. They do a great job and they put a, 
you know, they make everything that they do very, very unique. If we look at them as like the, you know, the pinnacle and people start going toward that model, man, source whiskey could be as celebrated as a ghost as negotiants in the wine world and it merchant bottling in, uh, in Scotland. Uh, instead we get, you know, class action lawsuits. <laughs> <laughs> and I think one thing that we should also recognize, and I'm, I'm guilty of this myself. So when I started getting into whiskey and I, I mean, like really got into it. I mean, I had this notion of like, you know, like not distilled here, don't care. Yep. Right. And I was just like, okay, well, I now know how to read labels and yep. I understand when something is sourced and when it's not sourced. And I was on a tear and a tangent for a solid year and a half of like, I'm not going to buy anything that's a source whiskey. Yeah. And I, I was on that same path too. <laughs> and then I think it, I don't know when it became clear to me that it's okay. It's yeah. okay to have source yeah, whiskey. Yeah, maybe when you start your own brand. Well, no, I mean, that was a that was a clear indicator. But no, it's like you, you know, like Old Scout's a great example. Like or okay, like I just immediately dismiss them because I'm like, ah, oh, it's just MGP. You know, it's like it's more it's MGP. Just more MGP, and you're like, ah, oh, they're just sourcing, and you know, you, you totally dismiss them, and then you actually go somewhere and taste, and you're like, holy shit, <laughs> I should have, yeah. I shouldn't have dismissed it. You know, <laughs> but I mean, maybe that's that's a good place to start on. Like, let's let's look at something that is. Um, you know, a bottle that is a high aged MGP. And these are companies that are buying barrels, but they're not doing anything special with it, right? I mean, they are bottling as single barrels, they're bottling as maybe flagship offerings, yet they're not doing anything that is like, oh, let's make sure we blend this and blend this or we finish like, in this. Like mic drop. Yeah, I mean, anything yeah. like that. I mean, it's it's literally just uh, like, hey, we bought barrels. We bought a lot of 12-year-old MGP. And or, yeah, seven-year rye, like whatever it is, and we'll just sell it, right? Because we're not doing anything special. And I just... would I would actually say that's more special to me than finishing it in, a, in another port barrel and turning it to shit, you know? Uh, so I, I think that, you know, there's something to be said for the people who have the ability to know whiskey and 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 just uh and, and bottle it as is instead of doing a finish you know like what you all are doing with pursuit series you know you're not doing anything to it you're oh no 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 and like i said we've we've always been very forth that we are we're still working on our blending techniques and everything like that to come out with new products and things like that but we have the opportunity to actually go and select single barrels, right? We get to go and select the best of the best that we have of that day versus saying like, oh, here's a check for $50,000. I hope what shows up on the truck is good today. Yeah. 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 That's the, and most people don't know that about sourcing. You go and say you want to start a brand, you get with a broker and then you're like, I want a hundred barrels of X or whatever. And they're like, can I get a sample? And you'll get a sample that's a representation of the lot but you don't know some of those barrels may show up empty. Some of them may suck. Some of them may be full. You just don't know. And so it's like you just blindly give them money and hope what you get. It's like you can turn something, you know, useful out of it. Yeah. And that's that's the broker market. That's MGP. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of places. That's the way this world works. And it's super high risk and everything like that. And so with these these a lot of these whiskeys and things that we're looking in front of us. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these people were put in high risk situations and they probably have the bankroll, the capital to say like, okay, like we'll take a gamble on 300 barrels and maybe we sell a quarter of those as single barrels and we take, you know, whatever percentage and we roll that into another product line. I also think that it's a little bit different, you know, with every brand. Um, like, let's take a look at Whistlepig over here. Whistlepig had Dave Pickerel behind it and Dave Pickerel makes two phone calls. He's not getting an empty barrel, you know? And so, like, if you have, like, a brand that is connected to an icon like that, then you're probably going to be okay. And let's take a look at Kentucky Owl. Kentucky Owl has, you know, Dixon Deadman behind it. And he's not really, you know, 10 years ago, a lot of people in the in the consumer world didn't know about him. But 10, I mean, I think the first Kentucky Owl batch release was, like, what, 2014? Right. So, yeah, I mean. Yeah, so, so. But he was buying whiskey before then. So, yeah. Yeah, but he's, like, so he's, like, a, a insider where he's like, hey, you know what, you know, guy who manages warehouse Z, you know, I'm I'm looking to start a whiskey. Can you can you help me? You know, he's not calling Chris Morris and saying, hey, we met at this convention five years ago. <laughs> sell uh, me can, some barrels. Can you can you help me out and sell <laughs> me some barrels? So I think there is also a little bit of like, um, and and by the way, uh, old Carter was connected to Kentucky Al, so a lot of that kind of you know same network is is going to be very, very different 
than, say, uh, Old Scout. And then you have uh, a source whiskey like Bullet, which has the buying power of Diageo. It says, you know what? We've got this $15 million check over here for some contract distillation. Uh, are you interested? You, know? <laughs> you got it. <laughs> yeah. How soon would you like it? Yeah. And then, of course, you got something uh, like Willet, which Willet, of course, they're doing their own distilling now. But, you know, they were doing this in the 1980s, like acquiring stocks from, uh, you know, distillers that were just trying, you know, they're, they, they were in going, the carbon glut, you know. Yeah, like, they mm-hmm. were going in and plucking stuff. And then people would say, like, wow, you did a really good job with that whiskey. So, you know, they kind of get like this, like, first right of refusal on like, right the place, good, right time. Good barrels that are, that are up on market. So, so, like, I think we have to, like, also, like every single one of these are going to be different. So, like when you, by the time you get to a broker, you got to know that you know there's probably about five people that aren't connected to a broker that have already turned down that whiskey before it gets there, and and that's another little layer of the, of the whole whiskey conversation that people don't really know about. But it every one of these bottles has a different story in terms of how the whiskey got there, and um, some of it, man, is great whiskey. Yeah, I mean, you can't deny the fact that, as I had mentioned, there's there's nothing new about source whiskey. I mean, even Pappy Van Winkle was doing source whiskey, right? I mean, like even something like that back in the day, even should I say the brand today, you know, you're you have the brand and then you've got, okay, we got Buffalo Trace, you had old Stitzel Weller stock. I mean, you had all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and you had those old medley rides from man, those early rye editions. Gosh, I can remember I think there's even like rumors of like the 13 year, which was probably even like even older than that, was even coming from like wild turkey. Right? I mean like there's there's rumors of things that that go on about with inside the source world of people want to try to figure out where they come from. And so I think I think there's a good baseline to at least for myself to kind of understand that there's nothing wrong with source whiskey. You know, and I think that kind of goes into the the next phase of this. And I think this also goes back into you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before of, you know, even Sazerac buying early times and making still time for, for uh, Old Forester, or sorry, for Brown Foreman. You know, why would a company like Heaven Hill, like Brown Foreman, like these companies, why would they want to sit there and get rid of product? Well, you know, cash, cash flow to a business is everything. And so, you know, bourbon's a capital intensive and you have to have age, time. So you're looking at minimum for four to six years to get a return on investment. So if you got some projects you want to do and you need cash up front, it's a great way to mm-hmm. offload some either age stock or, you know, new new make just to get a check right up front so you can go ahead and reinvest into your, your business. Whereas otherwise, yes, they're more valuable um, down the road, but I guess the distillers see, you know, yeah, four to six years, there's some opportunity costs we're giving up by hanging on to it that long. Whereas we can invest them in, back in the distillery and, get the money now to where we think later we can make even more money down the road versus sitting on those barrels four to six bottling them at a higher margin so that's that's what i think well and two i forget this too like so i know a one distiller in particular the way they set up their arrangements with uh you know their distributors was you know they could a distributor could say hey five years from now, I expect to sell this many cases of your flagship brand. And so they will go and prepay for the barrels at new make cost. And then, so they'll buy them at say eight, 900 bucks a barrel. Well, they sit and age, the distillery gets the cash up front, but they sit and age and then they have the opportunity to, you know, go ahead and bottle. They've, they've made some margin there for themselves, a distributor. Um, the distillery got cash up front. The distributor is making more margin on the end because they prepaid for those. And then, but they can also decide, Hey, I'm not going to bottle these because I think I can make more money on the, on the source market. Mm-hmm. So they get a broker involved, you know, at five years are like, we can make so much more money selling it to a source brand versus uh, bottling these up and selling them as, you know, a standard offering. So that yeah. goes on in the industry too. And that's when we raise our hand and be like, we're in, yeah, we're in <laughs> yeah, but you, the, the bad part about us. We're so small. We get, like Fred said, we, we, we're on the scraps, you know, it's already been denied or turned down a few times. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to put it that way, but it's true, actually. And one of the best stories about this whole thing is, is Orphan Barrel. Orphan Barrel is the Diageo series uh, that came out and um, it got that name because nobody wanted those barrels. Like they were putting them out on the market and trying to sell them to people and everybody kept turning them down and turning them down. And the person who came up with the concept gave this whole story 
of um of how like they were all turned down and nobody wanted them so they were orphans and so that's kind of how it came to be and the, and they spun that to be like well they were lost and you know, <laughs> whatever but the fact is 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 that you know there's so much that goes on in these companies um that not even like sometimes the master stillers don't even know you know yeah it's it's such a it's a weird business because you're like you're 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 investing capital like in product now so say you're a source brand you got to invest capital now to get juice that you can sell now but you're also investing in the future taking cash and getting new maker contract distillation for yeah. someone so you're 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 investing capital for now but you're also investing capital for the future and trying to project how that demand's going to be there in 4 to 6 years and there I mean nobody 4 to 6 years ago would or it's they even think that they would be here today you know it's like i've talked to many you know distillers they're making their own juice and you know their projections four to six years ago they were like we were dumbasses we should have, <laughs> you know yeah we should have just cranked this baby on and just let it run full time but at the time you just don't know and it's like so you got to invest all this capital now to know four to six years what the demand may or may not be and so and that, and that works both ways so like you know the whiskey glut you know, in the 60s, 70s, whatever, you had so much interest in, 50s and 60s, you had so much interest in American whiskey, but then it stopped, and they had so much excess stock that they just hung on to them and aged them, and then they weren't selling, so they're essentially worthless. You know, I've heard yeah. of I've heard of people buying Stitzel Weller juice or, you know, H&H juice. They would buy truckloads of it for six to $800 a barrel and then refill a barrel with it, you know? So it's like... Wait a minute! You're buying twenty year old aged juice for six hundred dollars a barrel, and then you're filling barrels with it. You know, whereas a twenty year old barrel might have a hundred eighty to a hundred bottles in it. Um, yeah, so it, it works both ways, and I, I, I'm interested to see. You know, because we're in this like, you know, period where every distillery is making so much juice right now and stocking, mm -hmm. stocking away. It's like, what is going to happen in five years? Like, is the demand going to meet all the you know, well, all I the, think, the production. I, I think that the crystal ball kind of got broken a little bit with the times, you know? I mean, no one saw a pandemic coming, but um, you definitely, if you, right now is a great time to have a source whiskey uh, business plan because all these people who have invested $60 million in their stills and their warehouses, they're like, holy mother of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. You Very know. true. I mean, everybody's everybody's kind of scrambling at, yeah. at the moment to be able to take care of that. But we all kind of look at the future of what this is. And you know, we, we've, we've seen the reports from Drizzly. We've seen the reports from other people that are in the industry and nobody's slowing down, right? No. Like there's, there's, it's, there's it's no- speeding, It's speeding up at the retail level. But you know the, the the model is changing in the, in the tourism side too, which is a, is a component that wasn't there in the sixties and seventies. You know that's changed, and it's like, and you know, I think I think the the success of bourbon in the future really rests on the success of the economy. Um, you know, but what we've seen is we've seen people pivot and like price their stuff out less, including the source brands. I'm noticing a price drop in source whiskey. Um, and like, that's like, that's going to be very, very interesting because that's what, that's the one flaw that Source Whiskey has is that you have to like price it more to make money mm -hmm. because you don't own the assets. And so you have to invest in the assets and you have to get your money out of it. And so you price a, a bottle that really could be, should be 40 bucks, 85. Yeah. Cause essentially what a distillery does is like they will sell their aged product at what they would bottle it to a distributor or sell it to a distributor. They're selling that to a wholesaler. And exactly. so they're, they're, they're not really losing any money or margin on it. You know, they're, they're, well, that's what it, the way it is right now. Now, five, six years ago, it probably was, it was a lot less than that, but now, you know, it's like they can get the cash up front and they're making the same amount of margin as they would, you know, and they don't uh, if they were money. bottling it themselves. There's no bottling cost. There's no marketing cost. There's no label cost. Yeah. There's no any of that stuff that's built into it. Right. So they're, they're, sitting pretty at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And so I guess that, that kind of goes into the next kind of question when we start looking at, you know, when we start looking at the, the types of bottles that are, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> the types <laughs> well, of bottles happens. that move and uh, get a, people get excited about. Well, I, I guess, uh, I don't know where I was going with it, to be honest with you, but sorry, Lauren, we'll cut that part out. 
No, it's okay. I no, mean, leave it's, it in, it's, Lauren. It's a, it's a live podcast. No. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, with with all these brands you're looking at, like as Fred was talking about, I mean, it, there, there are such different like, strategies and ways to go about it. Like you got someone like Old Scout who built it off MGP, and but now they're trying to transition to their own and trying to find that transition. Whereas you got someone with Barrel, they're like, well, why would we ever invest in a distillery when we can when we can just keep buying from the source market, which is continuing to grow because you have so much more competition now, whereas it was MGP, you know, Four Roses and Heaven Hill were mo- mostly doing contract distilling 10 years ago. And and now you got Barstone Bourbon Company, you got Castle and Key, you got, uh, uh, well, we you know, are- even independent craft distillers starting to do contract distiller stilling for other brands. And so, I mean, we interviewed Trey of, of Jefferson's, right? And remember, because he's got his thing down at Crestwood mm-hmm. and he said, you know, it's actually a lot easier just to buy in the source market than it is to build my own distillery and try to make my own whiskey. Yeah. I mean, I've had many people tell me that, that it may not be true now, but probably when Trey started and others started that, yes, it was much more cost effective to just source it versus, and I, and I think we're probably getting back to that with the, you know, all the distillate from Barton and Bourbon Company coming think, in age and all. I also think that people like Trey, though, they have a, they're a step ahead of people because they're creative and they know they, they have a vision for, for their whiskey. I think a lot of people get into this and you can tell like they didn't have a vision, you know? And so Trey's never been one to say, just, I'm just going to bottle my own stuff. And whether you like it or not, the Jefferson's Ocean is arguably the most creative thing anyone's ever done in American whiskey. I mean, it's incredibly creative from a pr- production perspective. Uh, whether or not you you like it or you think the marketing of it is is accurate, you know, that's inconsequential. The fact is, is like he actually puts it out on a boat and and there's real creativity there. And he and he's done some finishes. He's just like, you know, I don't want the whiskey to just be like the whiskey. He's like, I want to do something different with it. And so that kind of creativity is applied at at, at barrel. You know, it's applied. Uh, I'm just going down the list here. Let's put Joseph Magnus applied that. Uh, Angels Envy applied that. Um, you know, so I think I see the the people who have kind of came into the source whiskey category have also made a huge influence on whiskey. I mean, this, the barrel finish movement, which I do love, I just don't think it should be labeled as bourbon. I love barrel finishes. Um, that whole category is, you know, gave a beautiful lifeline to American whiskey. It, it showed like an entirely different level of complexity yeah. in a lot of you different have the ways. the source guys to thank for that. Exactly. Sure, uh, I mean, Woodford was doing a little, you know, aging, but I'm not sure. I mean, it'd Book, be, I'm not sure it'd be widely. It accepted. wouldn't be like it is now. Yeah. But Booker No was the guy who kind of like, you know, put a stamp on it in the 1990s uh, with the uh, with the Jim Beam's, uh, you know, masterpiece or I, I can't remember what they call. It. I think it was masterpiece. Um, and the fact is, is that if it wasn't for source force uh, source whiskey purveyors trying to stand out differently you would not see these sort uh, barrel finishes. You just wouldn't. So if you like sherry, if you like port, uh, if you like these wine finishes, thank a sourced whiskey maker. Like Bellamide. Like their sherry finish. Oh, speaking of that, man, I had that honey barrel. Oh, my gosh. I was oh, my God. It's so good. <laughs> I know. Right? I was, like, so skeptical going in. Once again, you know, I'm like, oh, it's just MGP source putting a honey barrel. Like, how? <laughs> I mean, real they're literally a honey barrel holy shit it was good i mean it's so floral got such great like fruity honey notes i mean man it was delicious they i mean bellmead is doing a great job we don't have a bottle of them up here but uh it's another brand that you know you have one in the back i should have have grabbed that i probably unrightfully dismissed because i was like oh it's just another group of guys sourcing mgp throwing in a bottle but then you like taste what they're doing, and then you realize there are differences with their product versus others. But I want I want to kind of like uh, get you all back in a in a good headspace here because when you all had that kind of uh, cynicism towards so- the source whiskey market, you had every right to do so because people were not following the rules of of whiskey labeling and they were trying to pass the stuff off as their own. There is no reason whatsoever that Templeton Rye. Uh, should have been passing off Indiana Rye as their own with their own backstory. And they got sued for it. And that really, that with a few others, that really hurt 
um, the whole the whole movement. And so you did it all, hurt or help though? Uh, so uh, well, it it hurt like you all are coming in here like you know it it hurt. Well, okay. It did it, not hurt the business. Person. It probably helped us to make sure that we don't fuck up and like say like, oh yeah. We, <laughs> oh, I see. I see probably, what you mean. We probably shouldn't say stuff like that. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like a necessary evil from to that like so where people wouldn't do it again. But from from my perspective, is that they messed up because that 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 stuff had these laws had been on the books since the 1930s. You know, so you know they put they put the state of distillation on the federal code. In the 1930s, because at the time, coming out of Prohibition, you had all of these uh, distilleries going into, you know, like one one pot to be batched out. And they didn't call it small batch, and they would call it like a blend of straights, which is still very much in play today. But it's like they would have blend of straights, and it would be from like five different distilleries, because that was the only place that they could get uh, liquid that would hold up to their taste standards. And so they're saying like, okay, if you have a... Um, a whiskey, you need to put the state of distillation on there because the consumer has a right to know if it's from Missouri and not Kentucky. And that's yeah. really what it came down to. And so like that, everybody had been following that label after label after label. And then you get into like 2006 to 2008 and people are like, well, hey, hey well, we got our own liquid here. We got a backstory. <laughs> we don't need to tell anybody it's uh, not from here. It's ours. It's the recipe by God. And of course, we, get, we inherited a recipe. <laughs> you know, kind of he goes to. Yeah. We inherited a six-year-old recipe that just <laughs> magically appeared out of this little bitty pot. Uh, but, you know, so, look, it it kind of, like, um, it worked itself out. And, um, you know? Yeah, and, I mean, there were, you talk about the 30s. I mean, there's some major brands that were started as source brands. I mean, Heaven yeah. Hill's one of them, Brown Foreman. And you just don't know that. And uh, it, it's like, what... You know, I'll ask this question to you, Fred. Like, if what's more respectable, starting a brand sourced and then transitioning to your own distillate, or just starting from distillate and trying to ride that wave? Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase. And go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today, shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. What's more respectable, starting a brand sourced and then transitioning to your own distillate or just starting from distillate and trying to ride that wave? That's a good question. That's I think really it depends question. on who you ask. Uh, from my perspective, it's like, you know, where are you in 20, 30 years? Um, you know, because it's it, it takes a lot of capital I, I think it's more of a financial decision, in yeah. my opinion. I mean, you know, we've we've interviewed people and they they come from a background where they don't have to rely on the outside capital or they don't have to rely on sourcing to make that happen. And they can sit there and they can experiment and they can fail and they can say like, well, you know, if we don't come out with a whiskey in six years, it's okay. Like we've got the, we've got the money to make it happen. On the other side of it, there's people that are like, listen, like we've, we've got investors, like 
we buy up, we product up front, we make a little bit of money coming in and we'll eventually blend it together and we'll blend it out, whatever it is. I mean, for me, it's a financial decision. I mean, I think that's a tough one. Corky Taylor of Peerless is the best example that I can give of someone who had the capital, uh, came in, distilled it, did everything that you want people to like, we made it ourselves, we, we barreled it ourselves, this is all us, no source whatsoever. And the minute that their bottle came out, they got trashed. They got trashed, I would say, more in the whiskey community than the than Templeton did. Why? Because they were $99 coming out of the gate. And the people were like, yeah, dare you take charge that much. I can get Heaven Hill for this. Well, you know what? I mean, this guy just invested, I want to say, $30 million or whatever of his own money. I mean, good for him for having 30, however many millions of dollars there to do that. I mean, that's awesome. We all hope as business owners hope to have that sort of thing. But like, you know, and he just gets trashed and it's like, you know, and, but they're making it themselves. And so like it, I think it's like what we have now is we have a consumer base that's very engaged and, and will always, you know, comment one way or another. And, um, you know, Peerless is an example of they did every, you know, by the, you know, if, if you go to the book of like what we say is like the right way to do it is to do it, to do a distillery, they still get criticized because their bottle uh, was actually priced in a way that they can make, maybe actually recoup some of that investment, you know, that they had put in there. Then you have someone like, uh, I don't know, let's give me, give me a source. Well, we'll say like, will it for, you know, you say Peerless had, you know, they came out at a two year ride, $99, like, Willett's first ride, I remember in the two to three year range was probably like $39, Yeah, you know, it was way more affordable, way more, you know, and it was their own distillate. They invested probably similar amounts of money, but they had those years of sourcing exactly. to, to yeah. help uh, fund that. But, um, and also I think Will is very smart about how they price their, I feel like liquid. they've made the transition better than anyone. Um, you know, going from a source product to their own distillate, um, it's been very well received and, and and I would put Chattanooga. I mean, it's in a different category, but I would put Chattanooga in there as like making a good transition. Um, well, theirs is like so off. That was I I, I agree the whiskey that they're selling, but it's so off profile oh, from what it, they were yeah. selling. Like it's uh, not yeah. to say that's a bad thing. I I do love yeah, their multi right product. It, mm-hmm. it it it's it's weird because you're like you got someone in like old scouts trying to like replicate what they had and try to blend it out to try to blend it in. Then you got someone like Chattanooga is like, well, no, nope, we're going a totally different direction, yeah. you know? And then you got someone like Willett who has six different recipes. They can blend together a few different ones to get certain things, or they can, you know, highlight different ones for certain brands and they can showcase like the rye or their, you know, weeded bourbon or the, the high rye mash bill. They can, whereas I don't know, it's funny how they all just kind of approach it differently. Well, another one that, you know, we're looking at a bottle right here and uh, from Luxco. Luxco, man, um, you know, we were there for the Hall of Fame speech of um, of when, uh, you Don, know, yeah. Don was getting uh, inducted. And one of the things that he, he basically just used the moment as like a or he was He was inducting uh, from Heaven Hill. He was yeah, inducting, inducting Max. Max. He, yeah, he's he, inducting he, Max. He, he was spending the moment of basically... In, uh, uh, using it as a moment to roast Max Shapiro. <laughs> that was great. He was like, I didn't know friends should like really upcharge people more than like the open yeah. market. <laughs> and he's like, I had to build a distillery because you stopped selling me whiskey. <laughs> yeah. And so you had someone who built like a 30, 40 year old model on the the whole source concept. And he's like, fine, I'll build a fucking distillery, asshole. You know? <laughs> You finally cornered me into it. He cornered, and then you, and then his like, uh, you know, he does everything is like he he creates a visitor center, and he has his videos like, this is corn, this is a still. We used to source whiskey, <laughs> now we make. <laughs> so it's like it's it's like he's he's to me like Luxco is like one of the greatest examples of how the business has shifted because Don Lux never in a million years wanted to build a distillery. He wanted to like keep doing side checks and me aged whiskey. <laughs> but but he had some friggin' prominent brands. Ezra Brooks, man. I mean that's like Ezra Brooks is in there and that Rebel kind of Yell, like, it's a Weller brand, you know. You know, yeah, I mean he has some brands. And so it's like what's he gonna do? Is he just gonna stop? Is he gonna is he going to like go and pay more for the barrels? Uh no, he's like, ah, eh, fine. 
I'm at I'm at the the end of the rope of, of sourcing. It's time to build uh, a distillery. And I mean, I for dead. for a consumer, I think that's like the next wild card. Because as a consumer, if you're like, hey, I like I like the current form of Bullet. I like Rubble Yell. I like some of these brands that are, you know, and Ezra Brooks. I like these brands that are built off of source whiskey, and they've now been cut off. Mm-hmm. And so we are going to see a profile change here. And maybe even Angel's Envy sits in the same exact position as well. We don't really know that. But we're going to see some of these brands get cut off from their sources relatively soon because they now have their own distilleries. They've got to kind of shape their own future yeah. and figure out how do they keep these brands going because at some point these other brands that we're sourcing realize like, oh shit, we brother hold on to this stuff. <laughs> yeah. And so as a consumer, do you look at this and say like, okay, well maybe we buy an extra bottle or two when we find something we want, or is it saying like, let's go ahead and hope for the best in the future? Yeah, for me, I mean, uh, I would probably, if you really like something like Rebel Yell 10, I mean, that's that's probably going to be going away <laughs> pretty soon. I mean, I don't know how the extent of the contracts with Heaven Hill, but I can't imagine that, you know, within the past five years that they've been, uh, you know, buying as much as they had been, you know, the previous five years. And so... Because they just came online, what, like two years ago? Right, like exactly. That? Is it still in? And, so. uh, you know, and with Bullet, I mean... Everyone knows it's, you know, whatever, but, um, for for that's right. Uh, you know, bullet is, uh, was long made. The only only thing I would say bullet might have an advantage over Lux, somebody like Luxro is they have whiskey making pedigree, like just such a, they have such a monster feeding the beast to like, I mean, it's, and they got some great, you know, people working on that to like really dial it in, tune it in. Whereas, you know, you know, someone like Old Scout or Luxro or, you know, I'm just looking at these like Traverse, you know, they're just getting into distilling. This is not like they don't have hundreds of years. Yeah, of let's, let's, get, let's give some perspective here. When when the CEO of Diageo or the CMO or CFO calls, uh, you know, a, a brown foreman person for contract distilling, they're, they're going to the top when someone from like, um, let's say, let's say the Pursuit series. You know, yeah. once they call yeah, someone, they that's, a, that's a very good person to call out. Yeah, we go <laughs> we go straight to voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Diageo, they, they when they call with those big old checks, you know, they people answer. So, bullets going to they can hire like fine. that the big talent. You know, they got mm-hmm. people in there that are you know can you know they got Nicole Austin down at you know at Dickel. Yeah, they got uh, Ebony. You know, doing the blending. I mean, she's fantastic. I mean, they mm-hmm. got like these pedigree people that know what they're doing that have earned their stripes, you know, done the the work that can help make that transition a little easier than some brands that just, they're like, a, you know, it'd be like me and you can either like, like, hell, we're going to start a distillery and here we go. You know, it's like, uh, we won't, it, we won't, but <laughs> yeah. could you imagine trying to transition from a source liquid that's so good to like your own thing? And like, you're just trying to figure out as you go, you know, well, and it's an experimentation. You don't know yeah. until years down the line, if you, what you were doing was right. Or if the stills were dialed in, I mean, you know, you don't have the day pick roll here to come and help you yeah. move through that, right? You got to rely on somebody else. So, and I've seen there's been so many brands that have just failed, you know, and it just they failed, and um, and it's not a it's not a good model. I mean, it's not a good model if if you're starting from scratch. I mean, I really I really do believe in like if you are coming into the business. You need to choose. It, I don't. I don't. I don't believe in the strategy of sourcing to get attention to your product, and then putting your own stuff out. Like I know what Smooth Ambler's doing, but that is not like a formula I would have ever recommended to them. I think I. I. I just. I just think it's a losing proposition. Well, I mean, there's well, there's a lot of people that follow that formula too. I mean, like the what the Blom brothers. I mean, there's a lot of people that follow that formula, and they had. They, I mean, they just had really good old source whiskey, mm-hmm. and it it got money rolling through the door. But it's really hard to sit there and try to take either your own product or source a new product and try to fill that mold when you run out of that good old product. Let me, let me, I guess, let me uh, edit that comment in that, in that what I mean by is, is, is on the brand. Like, so if you, if you are going to, like the way that New Riff did, the way that New Riff did it. Oh, right, clean they, cut. Clean, clean cut, cut, yeah. It was OKI and then it was New Riff. That is how you do it. If you're going from source whiskey to your branding, they did it perfectly. I don't think anyone 
did it better um, than the new riff. And I know we, you know, we talked about Willet and everything, but I actually do think that new riff has kind of set the bar for how to do it because they're like, fuck you. OKI. We're so done with you. You're gone. <laughs> <laughs> they literally yeah, sold they literally the brand. Sold it. Like, they literally sold the brand. Yeah. yeah I like, mean, we don't need you anymore. You're like, you were done. This is new riff. Thanks time. for what you did, but yeah. see you later. <laughs> <laughs> that poor little OKI. It was good whiskey, but it was, um, you know, I mean, the way they did it is like, if you're a, just a basic consumer, you, you don't have a drop off. Yeah. You know, if you got, if you got your sweet tooth on OKI, you, you're not going back to it. You're like, oh man, I missed it. Oh, new riff mid. Oh, that's how they did. It? Oh, okay, cool. One one person I want to keep my eye on is Kentucky Allen and Dixon. You know that he 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 was in that like kind of magic period where you know bourbon was just kind of getting tracked, but there was still like contract distillation. He was able to score yeah. some like great barrels, and I still think they even have some. But like at some point, those got to run out too. And I know he's got a big you know buyer behind him, but I just don't think there's the inventory that he's used to having to to play around with, and uh, so. Some of that stuff's got to be running out soon to where, you know, there there's not going to be like 17-year-old whiskey in those blends. You know, there's not going to be 15, 17, 20-year-old whiskey in those yeah. blends. It's like he's got to work with some younger type products. So I'm, well, you notice it in the last couple and, and of I've, releases. I have a hun- I've yeah. t- total faith in Dix. I mean, everything they put out has been fantastic. So, uh, but like, you know, we're looking at rye batch one i mean gosh that was i know it's so close to me that that cork might be coming off and get that last little drip out but I, yeah i'd be interested to pick his brain like all right what are you working with now <laughs> compared to what you're working with you know batches one through nine or ten or whatever are they going to build that distillery i don't think so i, I don't I think mean, so either i don't know that's purely speculation but i mean i know that they're contract distilling and it's like it's a like why would you? Why would you? It, you know, if the, you're the, contract distilling at pricing bourbon can, company, and you've got loads and loads of that, you know, at your disposal, and the prices, why, you know, why, you why know, would you build a pyramid? At the, and that whole thing was based on tourism, and I really do think that, like, you know, tourism is for forever changed, at least for five years, which is forever in whiskey. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or if you start now, at least you have a product. But in five you know, years. it's it's a sweet spot for you know a brand like Kentucky Out because they have so much capital at the the money they're able to spend. I mean, they can get the price per barrel down to where it's damn near close to what you would be making it for yourself if you invested all the money you know, yourself, you know, whereas... And therein is the Where Barstown Bourbon Company is happy to make, you know, a cash up front, get the, that small margin now, and then we'll get them on the aging fees and all this, you know, and then you times that by 50 clients, you know, you got a great business model. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of lot of different ways to do this. Um, you know, you bring up, um, you know, Stoli, which is the parent company, Kentucky Al. You know, it, it's fascinating to see this because it's really their first experiment in American whiskey. They're a vodka company. And like all that capital and everything they're able to do and what they're trying to do with it is, is, um, is through like the, the lens of Russia in a lot of ways. So now though still is not necessarily a Russian company anymore, but. Well, and Ryan, you also brought up a pretty good point. And I think that people also need to realize is when you look at price points, I mean, we've, we are not going to see the end of source whiskey coming to the market. There's going to be a new one almost every other week for the longest time, because you know, we're, if, if you ever want to know like what's in the market and people are all like, Oh, what's this little 12 year old stuff? What's this six year old stuff? Like, it's not hard to pinpoint <laughs> yeah. what's out there. Like it's very, very easy to kind of know what's coming in the market. And so there's going to be new labels coming all the time. And then people are always getting pissed and like, why is this a hundred dollars a bottle? Yeah. I mean, they're, I mean, just because we're in the source market, we know that there's probably four to five, you know, not even that many, probably two to three sources where it's legitimately can come from these days. And there might be a one-off that's, you know, that's rare, but it's very, very rare and gets so scooped Barton, up immediately. Barton, Dickel, and uh, MGP. MGP. And then uh, actually a lot of the smaller distillers are starting to put stuff out on the market, like uh, Cedar Ridge in Iowa, put a bunch of like a, their single malt out there. And, yeah, so. and then you got people like Bartson Bourbon Company starting to get three to four years. You got OZ Tyler, same situation. Um, Every once in a while, you can go to the ADI forums and people are just like <laughs> trying to sell totes of stuff. Right. Hey, can I get rid of my over oaked uh, rye? <laughs> it happens. It happens. I mean, 18 year old Kentucky whiskey, it comes on the market and yeah, and that's huge, that, huge ass totes. And because of the, you know, the, the aged one year in Kentucky law, I mean, it's really made it advantageous for investors to explain it, that for the listeners that don't know. So to, for, so say I'm a source company in Iowa, but I want my bourbon to be say made in Kentucky. It has to age in a barrel 
a year and a day in Kentucky. And so it has to it be. It also has to be mashed and distilled here. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. But you can't just have it made there that day, yeah. ship it to your facility and age it there. So so investors, you know, will come in and just buy up, you know, lots of Kentucky bourbon at Barstow Bourbon Company or OZ Tyler. And as soon as it turns year, it immediately goes from a $600 investment to a $1,200 investment. Yeah. Because it has, you can now buy it transfer it to your location, age it however long you want to, and it can still say aged in Kentucky. By the way, that law is on the books because Diageo was trying to send liquid from uh, George Dickel down here to call it uh, Kentucky bourbon. Oh, wow. See? Yeah. Things we didn't know about before. No. Yeah. That would be it. I don't, I don't know. I, I, there was I, a, there was I'm, a big I'm kind law. of 50-50 on that law. I, I, I like the law because I think it, you know, helps keep, Kentucky bourbon here, but it also like artificially inflates the price of the barrels. And I mean, so, at, at that point, if I feel like I kind of feel like if you were even to take it even in a year and a day and you age it six years in Tennessee or North Carolina or Minnesota, it doesn't really matter. I'm like, why would you just say it's just aged in Minnesota? Like Kentucky whiskey aged in Minnesota. What I if mean, we had a whiskey that was yeah, aged but, I mean, in every one of the states? But you know, I mean, hell, how hard was it for us to sell <laughs> Stuff that we think is really good, probably better than any Kentucky product on the source market. And it was at first hard to convince people, even though it's one state below in Tennessee, which is a, you know, has history in Tennessee in whiskey making. It's just has KY, it sells, you know. True. It's <laughs> that's, true. It, so that's why you got that badge of honor. This whole conversation has got me to like wanting to get a barrel. And, and, uh, and, and Trey, you're probably the only person out there that would actually do this. And that is like take a barrel and put it in every one of the states and say it's aged in all fifty states. Ooh, ooh, that's a dream United color. States of America bourbon right yeah. there. God, what do you think? I think that he would be the guy to do it. Yeah, he's probably got an RV or something. He he's probably already around. doing it. Oh yeah, you know? <laughs> for sure. It's just going in semi trailers, you know, around just each just dumping one and and every. It's got state. a tracker on it. Yeah, yeah. it's going across the Northwest today. <laughs> and like, then he has to put it on a boat to you know to take it down to Hawaii. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's true. It's not too bad. Yeah. Oh, Alaska. That's 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 kind of far. So as we kind of start wrapping this up a little bit, I mean, I think we we hit on a lot of good points at Source Whiskey. I, honestly, I don't think this will be the last conversation we have about Source Whiskey. It could yeah. never end. I it think we covered end. it all, but not in a fluid way. We kind of jumped around. I mean, we were everywhere, everywhere but uh, it, yeah, I mean, there's. But we knew that so coming in. Yeah. We knew that coming in because you know there's a lot of passion there on the table. There's also uh, a lot of idiocy when it comes to sourced whiskey and people like trying to take advantage of consumer bases. And that's what it comes down to is like, the reason why it was a dirty word when you guys were getting into the game is because people are trying to take advantage of consumers. And as long as you're transparent, do not take advantage of consumers. Yeah. Do not do not be fraudulent. Do just be honest and well, be as transparent yeah. as you can be. And there's, you know, because bourbon's so hot, there's a lot of people that have money that are just starting brands trying to capitalize that, you know, and they can just buy some 12 year old whiskey and, put it in a bottle and I mean, that, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's part of it too. So and I'm it's like, I'm you got to really be behind the company that's doing it and know who's blending it, who's tasting it. If you trust them, then it's probably going to be a good product. And there's nothing wrong with source whiskey. And I'm, and, and we're talking about whiskey centric brands. Okay. So everything that's on this table here has touched um, a whiskey centric person. The brands like what Bob Dylan's putting out, Metallica's putting out, uh, those are to base on, 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 on the fans of those respective properties and the bands are properties, you know, the brands, the bands are brands and, and like in the, as the music world gets more, um, more connected and more into this scene, the more I fear that it's going to to go wrong and the and, and and more of that kind of like this is our story we etched this bottle just this way and it looks like this and it looks like that and you know. think it'll go into the glass yeah it'll and, go into the glass like oh yeah it's shaped like a guitar and, you know and it's like it's like now that we're gonna have a whole new layer of sourced whiskey and it's like yeah great I, you, your bottles do, one gold one pet you. peeve of mine is the stories behind sourced whiskey you're like you don't need a story just say yeah. like you know, we like bourbon and we're passionate about it and we think these are really good and we put them together for you. But so we've been <laughs> in this game for a minute. Every one of those people who are on that other side, it's new for them. Sure. And so they're looking at all this other stuff like, how can we be different? Okay, our whiskey sucks and it looks like every, it tastes like everything else. So <laughs> package. All right. Yep. And not to just like 
belittle anything, but everybody that thinks that they can just get into source whiskey, make sure you go check out the past episode of How We Built Pursuit series where Fred actually yeah. interviewed us. It's not the easiest thing to get no. going either. So just make sure that you understand if you want to get into this game, there's a lot of hurdles to jump through. And a lot yeah. of money. Yes, yeah. a lot of money. It, it definitely is a part of it. So guys, I want to say awesome episode today talking about source whiskey. I think we're going to rehit this one again in the future mm-hmm. because there's a lot of things we did talk about like, hey, how do you, what's the best way to market one? Uh, do you feel like it's better than maybe something that comes from somebody that's already distilled it? So there's a lot of places that we can go with this. So I want to say thank you again for uh, everybody tuning in. Make sure you follow us on all the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, everywhere, and support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash bourbon pursuit. I think that's the first time he's dropped TikTok on the, on nah, the closeout. He, he uh, drops it in there. He loves while. TikTok because he's the only one on there. <laughs> <laughs> who, Actually, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Maybe we get one today. No, I joined no. TikTok. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been on it since I joined it, but I joined it. <laughs> See? There you go. Just count another number to it. Yep. All right. Cheers, y'all. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Toodles. Toodles.